0: You're listening to the Weekly Sermon Podcast from Trinity Church Denver. To find out more
1: about Trinity, visit our website, trinitychurchdenver.org. So Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 13 is a New Testament reading. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And how is it that we hear each one of us, each of us, in his own native language, Parthians and Medes and Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others, mocking, said, they're filled with new wine. This is the word of the Lord. Our sermon text for today is from Second Chronicles, chapter 5. Thus all the work that Solomon did for the house of the Lord was finished. And Solomon brought in the things that David, his father, had dedicated and stored the silver, the gold, and all the vessels and the treasuries of the house of God. Then Solomon assembled the elders of Israel and all the heads of the tribes, the leaders of the father's houses of the people of Israel. In Jerusalem, to bring up the ark of the covenant of the Lord out of the city of David, which is Zion. And all the men of Israel assembled before the king at the feast that is in the seventh month. And all the elders of Israel came, and the Levites took up the ark. And they brought up the ark and tent of meeting, the tent of meeting, and all the holy vessels that were in the tent. The Levitical priests brought them up. And King Solomon and all the congregation of Israel who had assembled before him went were before the ark, sacrificing so many sheep and oxen that they could not be counted or numbered. Then the priests brought the ark of the covenant of the Lord to its place in the inner sanctuary of the house, in the most holy place, underneath the wings of the cherubim. The cherubim spread out their wings over the place of the ark so that the cherubim made a covering above the ark and its poles. And the poles were so long that the ends of the poles were seen from the holy place before the inner sanctuary, but they could not be seen from outside. And they are there to this day. There was nothing in the ark except the two tablets that Moses put there at Horeb, where the Lord made a covenant with the people of Israel and when, when they came out of Egypt. And when the priests came out of the holy place, for all the priests who were present had consecrated themselves without regard to their divisions. And all the Levitical singers, Asaph, Haman, Haman, And Jeduthun, their sons and kinsmen arrayed in fine linen, with cymbals and harps and lyres, stood east of the altar with 120 priests who were trumpeters. And it was the duty of the trumpeters and singers to make themselves heard in unison in praise and thanksgiving to the Lord. And when the song was raised with trumpets and cymbals and other musical instruments, in praise to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever, the house, the house of the Lord, was filled with a cloud so that the priest could not stand to minister because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Good morning. morning. Can you hear me? Yeah. Yeah. Good. I am very honored to be with you this morning. Uh, Brian already said some nice things about me, so I'll say some nice things about him briefly. (laughs) Tit for tat. Uh, When you're in a church... You're just doing the things the church does. People are up here singing, people make coffee. Some of you serve in different capacities. You give, you pray, you do the things you do. It's helpful for people to come from the outside from time to time to give you a bit of a broader perspective. So let me just do that very briefly. Um, You are a part of a church that is very significant and what I believe God intends to do in this city. I know it doesn't feel like that on a normal, boring day. Because most of the work that transforms the world is mundane. It's day-to-day kind of work. But I want to commend to you your pastor and his family. Um, I count Brian a friend. There's a... uh, An old monk, you know, you you always know you're going to hear something smart when it's old dead guys. Old dead guy named uh, Alfred of Riveau, he was from the 12th century, he wrote a beautiful piece on friendship. One of these things about friendship, he says there's all kinds of different friendship and the hardest kind of friendship to find are spiritual friends. You know, you have a spiritual friend when every time you're in their presence or you're with them, they call the kingdom out of you. They call what Jesus is doing out of your life. And you, in turn, also call the life of the kingdom out of them. And somehow, because you're near them, you live life with them, you want to do certain kinds of things you wouldn't do otherwise. You want to read the Bible. You want to pray. You want to be a better man or a better woman. You want to have a different kind of family. And Brian uh, is a spiritual friend. Uh, I, I don't know if you guys know this, but he enjoys the Bible. I actually don't know that I've been with him where he talks out the Bible where he doesn't yell at me. (laughs) That, That means if we're even five feet apart in a coffee shop, I find Brian yelling at me. Because he loves the scriptures. He truly loves the scriptures. And he loves his wife and he loves his family. And I guess I just wanted to tell you that that you can't take for granted. Some of you have been in different churches. I'm a professional Christian. So I'm in, that was a joke. I'm glad one person laughed. Uh, I've been in uh, lots of different churches. I spend lots of time with pastors. There's lots of pastors that do their job because it's their job. Just like a doctor does their job because that's their job or a lawyer. You've been given a gift when you find a pastor that loves Jesus and then loves his church accordingly and I've been with Brian in too many rooms where he talks about you, he prays for you, he asks for God to do things in you and through you because you've been given a gift. So, if you've not uh, rightly thanked him and his family uh, recently, you probably should. He's shifting around like, Jay, just get on with the sermon. I, I just, I just want to say, you've been given a gift and gifts need to be tended to and stewarded. So, for what it's worth, I commend your pastors, and your elders to you. These are good people that are a gift to our city and to you, uh, this church. So now I'm going to say some things. Uh, I listened to this entire series. Do you guys listen to the podcast? Yeah, Yeah, I listened to the whole series uh, this week because I really enjoyed it. Uh, Thinking about worship and how the, the things we do in this place shape us to be the kinds of people that live a life with God that impacts not just this room and this space, but our families and the lives that we live everywhere we go. That what we do here, in one sense, is a form of training and connection and empowering that's supposed to make us different kinds of people. Not the kind of thing we're just supposed to endure, like sort of manage, but the kind of place that we're supposed to be trained to become more like Jesus, to have our minds and our affections our relationships shift, and that that is the hot center that creates transformation everywhere we go. That what we do here is vitally important, vitally important, if we have any hope for the city that surrounds us, the nations around us, and the world that's around us. And I don't know if you've noticed; I assume you have, that. The current moment we live in is becoming less and less rational. Like people's ability to disagree and yet be gracious to one another is dropping off the table. Do you have social media? Right? Nobody can talk graciously to one another specifically in the context of disagreement. And I don't know about you, but I, I like talking to people about things I believe, and I like having people talk to me, especially when we disagree. But people's capacity to manage disagreement is disappearing. Uh, I, I studied philosophy at the Ohio State University. Just you? Usually I get some booze. I'm disappointed because people hate on winners. I study philosophy at the Ohio State University in the intention of becoming a lawyer, uh, and then Jesus messed my life up, so I make much less money. <laughs> but I study philosophy really out of the conviction, the desire to understand how people think and be in environments where there's disagreement. And to learn, like, rhetorical skills and the ways that people argue and debate and persuade and... You know, I just wanted to learn how to do that, and it was, it was a great education for that. Uh, it was towards the end of my education. I was doing some, uh, some graduate work for philosophy, and I sat with my TA, who I'd been talking to for a long time. He's just a little older than me. And I started trying to argue with him about my faith some more, because that's what I was there to do, in my mind anyway. And we were heading to Easter, so I was trying to persuade him of the resurrection. Went back and forth about the resurrection. And after we do this for like 45 minutes, he says to me, uh, I got to go. Like, you're like ruining my office hours. There's like other people. And I say, I'm sorry, man. And so I kind of get ready to leave. And he says, but you really believe this is true? Like Jesus is alive. And I said, I do. And, you know, did you not hear my arguments about liar, lunatic legend, Lord, the they all gave their lives. They all were willing to die for their faith, to testify. the You know, I go back through the arguments. He goes, no, I heard all those. Here's what he said next. And this really will be a theme of what I want us to look at as we look at those scriptures that were just read. He said to me, if you believe that's true, why are you still talking? Why didn't you pause at any point here and pray for me? Why didn't you stop and if God is actually alive and he can actually speak and he can actually show himself to people, why wouldn't you just stop right now in this room and pray and ask God to show himself to me? It was at that exact moment I wanted to leave. uh, Because in a very real way, I had been called on the carpet, right? What he's saying is, if you actually think God is alive in such a way that you experience him, and he shows himself to people, why are we doing all this talking? Why don't you demonstrate that? Like, now. I mean, before I move on, right now you're like, what happens next? I'm not telling you. But here's... here's, Here's what I want you to consider. What would you do in a moment like that? How confident are you that God is actually alive in a way that he will show himself to people who seek him? I would like to suggest to you this morning that you are as confident to do that out there as you're experiencing the life of God in that way in here. To the degree that you believe that God inhabits the praises of his people, that these things that we do here actually put us in the presence of God in a way that's tangible, is real, is the degree to which you have confidence that God is with you in all the other ways you live your life. I mean, let me put it more succinctly. If we aren't encountering the living God in all this stuff we're doing here right now, what confidence do we have that we will encounter him out and about when people don't share our assumptions? When we're not pulling together? When there are people that are overtly and intentionally resisting us? My hunch is your confidence is really low. Right now, there's some of you going, This isn't very encouraging. Why is is he being so hard on it? He He doesn't even know me. Yeah, okay. We just went through a series of beautiful things. And we will continue to this morning. All of which are entirely dependent upon your expectations and your invitation of the living God. No one can do a set of things to you if you simply, you, don't decide to turn your heart towards him in worship. This series, the series Brian's been doing, I really enjoyed. If you haven't listened to it, you really should listen to it. Because I think the pieces fit together nicely. Actually, the thing I want to talk about today, I think is a nice continuation from what we've been talking about. And even the first talk, where the pictures in the scriptures of what it means to be the gathered people of God, fit within the holistic story of God. Moving from the garden, where God is perfectly connected to people. And it goes horribly wrong, but you notice that as they move towards the tabernacle and towards the temple, the images of the garden find their way all the way through the tabernacle and the temple, right? Because what we're doing when we worship is remembering a moment where we had perfect communion with God, before that was distorted. And the temple itself. I mean the passage we just read. Did you hear the very last bit of it? No one heard. Okay. Let, let, me re, let me read it to you. Here it is. Some of you are like. There's a lot of Bible. I don't Okay. Here's the very last bit. That 2 Chronicles chapter 5 bit. This is the consecration of the temple. The temple is being made. Now. This little section of scripture by the way. Shows up over and over through the Bible. Like. This isn't just, you know, like there's parts of the Bible that nobody talks about again. This part of the Bible is talked about a lot. Old Testament prophets, New Testament writers refer to it. It's a part of scripture you probably want to pay attention to because something's happening that people expect to keep happening. 2 Chronicles chapter 5, verse 11. Listen to this. The priests then withdrew from the holy place all the priests who were there had consecrated themselves, regardless of their divisions. All the Levites who were musicians, Asaph, Haman, Jeduthun, and their sons and relatives stood on the east side of the altar, dressed in fine linens, playing cymbals, harps, and lyres. They were accompanied by 120 priests, sounding trumpets. The trumpeters and the musicians joined in unison and gave praise and thanks to God. I don't know what it sounds like to have that many trumpets playing, but I bet it's really loud. Accompanied by trumpets, cymbals, and other instruments, the singers raised their voices and praised the Lord and sang, he is good and his love endures forever. And here's where it gets weird. Then the temple of the Lord was filled with the cloud, and the priests could not perform their service because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the temple. There's all this worship, and a cloud comes in, and just in case you think it's metaphoric, it isn't, because people can't even move around and do what they're supposed to do. They can't see. Maybe this cloud has some kind of substance to it, like they're like moving through this like soup, and it's, it's crazy. This text gets referred to more than once. Prophets keep referring to this moment and saying, there will be another day And a continuous experience where the temple will be filled with glory again and it will be even more than before. Haggai chapter 2. Let me just read this a little bit. Um, This is what the the Lord Almighty says. This is in verse 6. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations And what is desired by all nations will come. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house. What's the former house? The text we were just reading about. Says the Lord Almighty, and in this place I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. Haggai, a prophet, says we're building this other little temple after the other one has been kind of beat up in the exile. We're coming back, it's being rebuilt, and this temple will be more full of glory than the last one. Now, it's indicated on one condition. If you didn't see it, let me read it again. It says, I will shake the nations, and what is desired by all nations will come, and I will fill this house with glory. Okay, So, for those of you who aren't Bible scholars, you might not know what the desire of the nations would be. There's all kinds of people who argue about this. New Testament writers refer to this passage, and the early church refers to this passage in Haggai 2, and says, the desire of the nations, or it can be translated, the consolation of all the nations. Like the reconciling of the nations, which they want will be Jesus Christ himself. Jesus will come, and then all of a sudden, this old glory will pale in comparison to the new glory that will fill the temple. Now, this is important because in the Second Temple Judaism, different Pharisees, writers, they're arguing about how will this glory come. They're making interpretations of the desire of the nations. And New Testament writers take this passage and a lot of passages like it, whether it's from Joel or from Ezekiel, and they say, no, 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 no it's not like an actual temple that's going to be filled. The people of God become the new temple. And the new temple is filled with the presence of God, the power of God to transform all the nations and all the nations will be welcome. So all of these little pictures keep stacking on top of each other. Uh, you've looked at this passage before. I'm sure you memorized every single one of Brian's sermon. So I need not read it to you. But I'll read it to you anyway. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, that was also a joke. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10, Paul writes it like this. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, as someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care, for no one can lay a foundation other than the one that's been laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on the foundation using gold, silver, stones, wood, or hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light it will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder receives a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, yet he will be saved, even though only is one escaping through the flames. Okay, so Paul describes building the church like a builder. And just in case you don't know what he's doing, he makes it crystal clear after this. He says, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple? That God's spirit is, dwells within you. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred. You are together that temple. My point is, each of these illusions is looming large in the story of the Bible. And at every point that people are talking about the temple or the tabernacle, they overtly refer to the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit filling the temple. In other words, the temple isn't just a place that they do things, like they sacrifice stuff and they sing songs, and you try and make things work a certain way. The temple is inherently a place that you as the people of God are to expect an encounter with God. Like, there's no way that a New Testament writer is thinking about like what it means to be the church as a fulfillment of the temple where you're just sort of like going through the motions. Uh, Furthermore, it's not just like the old temple. It's supposed to be way, way more. And every single time they get a chance to tell you this, whether it's in 1 Peter where Peter's like, you're living stones. You're being put together to house the spirit of God. Like God's spirit is meant to work in and through you. Peter makes that argument. This this image looms so heavily all through the Gospels. Uh, John chapter one, when when John is talking about Jesus, he says, God has come and tabernacled among us. Meaning the spirit of God is now come in Jesus to shape the world anew. And then you now are the fulfillment of this. John chapter two, you, you just have to think like a New Testament reader. John chapter two, they're reading it and there's the ceremonial washing basins. Those point to the temple. Guess what he fills them with? What, 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 what do they get filled with in John chapter 2? He turns water into? Wine. That's right, wine. So Jesus, Jesus then takes this kind of old ceremony and fills it with Wine. John chapter three, he's arguing with Nicodemus. He talks about the spirit of God is supposed to come to refresh people. Then you get to John chapter four where he's arguing with the woman at the well. And what does she do? She makes it about worship. It's the last text I'll read you. Do you remember the story of the woman at the well? She starts arguing with Jesus and they're going back and forth. And he like calls her out, like, go call your husband. She goes, I don't have a husband. He goes, that's right. Man you're with isn't your husband, nor were the other guys either. And she's like, I can see you're a prophet. Let's change this conversation quickly. I'm wondering about worship. What? You know. Dodge, get out of this thing. Your people say that you know where to worship and it's supposed to be in Jerusalem. Our people who have kind of this mishmash of religion, it's sort of based on some of your Judaism, but we're also Samaritans. We're supposed to worship at this mountain. It's a big controversy, Jesus. I'm wondering if you could solve it for me. Total distraction. Jesus, because he's so kind, addresses her. And this is what he says. Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. And here it is. Yet a time is coming and now is come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth for they are the kinds of worshipers the father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. There is no way a New Testament writer or a reader is reading through these first three chapters without thinking, wow, he keeps, John keeps making an argument about how the spirit is essential to what it is have a life with God. And he's using all of these images that point towards the temple and is pointing forward to another way of being. If you haven't heard what I'm trying to say, let me say it really clearly. The idea that you would show up in a place like this and seek to worship God and not come anticipating an encounter with the living God means you're simply not understanding what's offered to you in Jesus Christ. You show up in a place like this, and these people do incredible work to build all these nice little ways that we can, we can think about the Bible and sing the scriptures and confess our sins, joining with the traditions of thousands of years of people but only you can decide if you've come to this place to meet with the living God. No one can do that for you. And that encounter, that that moment that you experience the living God is then meant to throw you out into a life where you take the presence and the power of the spirit everywhere you go. Walking in a kind of freedom and life and hope that easily transmits into the conversations you have at work or in your neighborhoods or within your family. Some of you maybe have heard of the vineyard. Most of you probably haven't. But in my little tradition of the vineyard, we're spirit people. Like if you do, like, you know, spirit and truth, like we just talked about, we're spirit people. We write songs we like, and then we try to get them into the Bible. I'm just telling the truth, okay? Like, like, this is probably not against the Bible. It'll probably work, you know? Like, and we, so we write stuff we like. They, they, they often sound like love songs to Jesus, you know, like out of like the early 80s. And, you know, if you just took most of the songs and you turned them from being about Jesus to being about like your boyfriend, they would kind of work. That's a problem, if you didn't know. <laughs> Uh, I find that to be a problem. And yet, the reason why is because we so desire and know that we need the imminence of God. That we need his presence to be near to us at all times. That about every time you're with a weird vineyard person, they live with the expectation that God might speak. God could interrupt God could change something. You may or may not have noticed, but that 2 Chronicles 5 passage and the Acts chapter 2 passage have a similar thing that happens, which is suddenly, suddenly, a cloud comes. Suddenly, the house was filled with the Spirit. Suddenly. Not in a way that anybody expected. Suddenly. Suddenly is the... the the favorite word of weird charismatics like me. We love it because it can be an excuse for having no idea what we're doing the rest of the time. I'm just telling you how it actually is. And as much as I can lead and help and serve churches like the Vineyard, I'm always saying, we have to be people that are grounded and are deriving our lives from the truth of the scriptures that we are connected to the church of Jesus Christ through space and time. People have been doing this like a really long time and we should learn from them. It doesn't always have to be suddenly. But it's also true. There are people that pride themselves on saying that which is true with no expectation of how the spirit will move. Like the idea that somehow we could just patch together our thinking and our behavior in such a way that like our life will sort of just work better than other people. And here's the terrible news. It kind of does. I mean, if you just believe the right thoughts in your head and you behave the right ways, you're going to live a better life than most people around you. But the promise of the scriptures is that God is alive. And that he moves by his spirit. And when his people come together. And they sing these kinds of songs. And they pray these kinds of prayers. The God of suddenly. Might walk in the room. And it turns out. That that God. The God of suddenly. Tends to walk in the room when people show up asking him. Uh, When they say. Come and have your way, Lord Jesus. Move among us by your Spirit. He does, and He can, and He will. These things, according to Jesus, need not be separate. They come together. Uh, We need all of the right things that help put us within the tracks of the church and of the Bible, but if these things are not breathed on by the Spirit, Jesus has strong words for people that love the Bible but don't actually want the presence of God. Strong words run all through the Old Testament and the New for people that are very into their cool way of doing things without any expectation that God will meet with them. I happen to know that this church is designed and built to be a people of the Spirit. The train tracks of human history are intending to bring the power of God with them. But again, there's only so much that leaders can do if people that fill the pews do not prepare their hearts and invite the living God themselves. The words of Jesus ring true today. True worshipers the Father seeks will worship from themselves in spirit and truth. You and only you, me and only me, can make that decision. And like I said at the beginning, I'd like you to consider that the watching world will be mostly persuaded by your life, walking in the spirit, as opposed to your words. We'll also say words, by the way. (laughs) I'm not saying it's one or the other. But I am saying people are desperate, desperate to see if there's anyone that believes that God is actually alive. Finish with a story. Uh, there's a guy, an atheist, I've been sharing my faith with for like, I don't know, a decade. And we've read everything. You know, reason for God. You know, we switch, we go back and read books. I read Sam Harris, he'll read Tim Keller. It's, it's very boring. And we go back and forth, because he thinks he's really smart, and I think I'm really smart, so we just argue all the time. So we're doing that for like a really long time. And so I eventually invite him to this thing we run. Maybe you've heard of it. It's called Alpha, where you walk through these things. You have conversations. So I thought, whatever I'm doing is not working. Come to this thing. So he's like, sure, I like you. I'll go have dinner. So we go through this Alpha course where they kind of make cases for, you know, the resurrection and for the Bible. And we're going through it. And he mostly is just destroying everybody at his table every single week. I start thinking, I think I might be, moving people away from Jesus, because I invited this guy. This might be a mistake. Well, anyway, most of the way through the Alpha thing, you do a, a retreat, and at the retreat, you talk about the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. And so he comes, and I do the first talk, and he grabs me right at the first talk, and he goes, I think I can see what's happening here. I said, what's happening? He goes, you're going to make this moment, You're going to ask people, do they want to receive prayer that they might have an encounter with God? And I want you to know, I'm not going to do it. I'm not doing it. I think you're trying to do something that I don't want to do. I said, you don't have to do anything you don't want to do, man. I I don't care. You've known me a long time. I don't, do whatever you want. He goes, I'm just saying right now, I'm not doing it. I said, great. You want to leave now? You leave. You don't have to be here. Nobody's keeping you here. He said, no, 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 I, I want to be informed. It's good to be informed. I said, great. So I do the next talk, and sure enough, we say, it, there's some of you that are believers, some of you aren't, some of you aren't sure what you think about any of this, but you'd like somebody to pray with you and pray for you. We'd love to pray for you and ask for God to show Himself to you that you might experience the life of his, of the Spirit. And this guy, his name's Alex, pops to his feet. And it's like, I don't know, it's probably a hundred people in the room, it's like thirty some people. So I walk, I walk right to Alex. I go, What are you doing? He goes, I don't know, man, you know, I mean, this isn't real. So what's, what's it going to hurt? I said, that doesn't make any sense. I don't know what we're doing right now. I go, dude, I can't, God's not going to make you do something you want to do. And he kind of quiets his heart and he goes, if this is real, I I really want this to be true. Could you pray for me? He said, sure. So I just put my hand on his shoulder and I said, Alex, be filled with the spirit. And he just fell to his knees and he just started sobbing uncontrollably. Alex leads in our church now, by the way. But it was so weird that week because he called me maybe a day later and he goes, Jay, you might not, I, I got to explain something to you. I said, yeah. he goes, this is real. <laughs> like this is real, like the way gravity's real. And I'm like, I know. He's like, no, no, no. Not like, this is probably helpful. This is real. And I went, I know, dude. What you? And then I'm thinking, what have I been doing all this time? Like, I, <laughs> uh, That very next Sunday, he'd been coming around church. Very next Sunday, he shows up and he's sitting in the front and he's just sobbing. And He grabs me and he goes, are these the worship songs we've been singing? I said, these are the same worship songs. He goes, dude, these are beautiful. They're beautiful. And I went, yeah, they're, they're the same ones. Actually, right, right before that, I've been thinking, this is going terribly. You know, like there had been a bad worship set. I'm like, this is so bad. I'm just confessing, right? Like, I'm telling you my real story. This is what really happened. Well, this is going so bad. But the difference was, it wasn't about the music. It was about what the Holy Spirit was giving him grace to do. And from that minute to this one, Alex is a constant encouragement to me. Because he believes God is alive in a way that has reminded me how he's alive. Like like that worship is really my choice to worship a God who gave his life for me. Who's alive and has poured out his spirit. That's a decision I make. And Alex, uh, you know, just runs around destroying people's lives because he actually loves the Lord. Have you been around somebody like that lately? Would you like to be someone like that? I, I, I guess all I'm asking God for for you today is that your appetite would be whetted. Something inside of you would say, what would it look like for me to just want to remember afresh the vast love of God for me? Paul makes an argument. We know the love of God by the spirit of God it's poured into our hearts. And all that you do here, all that we try to do as the people of God requires the Holy Spirit working in and through us. We need not let go of truth. I mean, some of you are like, oh, he's trying to make us a weird vineyard person. No, be you. Because honestly, I'm, I'm trying to be more like you. But invite the presence and the power of the Spirit to animate every bit of who you are And you might be surprised by the God of suddenly. Can I pray for us? So, Holy Spirit, we acknowledge that you're here with us. We believe, God, that you've done something through your son that makes it so that we can boldly approach you. And so I pray, Lord, for those who are here this morning, anyone listening, but really specifically some folks that are going, I need to be reawakened. I need a touch to be just brought afresh into the love of God. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you would pour yourself out afresh on each person here. Show yourself. Speak to us. In this little time we have left, God, we say you can have your way. You can do whatever you want. Make us more like you. And we pray, God, that uh, you would empower us that we would bring the life of your kingdom through your spirit everywhere we go, even this week. Move among us, Lord. Amen.